0: Romans chapter 3 you would take your Bibles and turn there with me this morning we continue our study of Romans had several people ask me how in the world we did chapter 2 in two sermons well I did chapter 2 in two sermons because everything he deals with in chapter 2 he's going to deal with more in depth at other places so in chapter 2 we got the overview from here on out we'll get the application we'll get the specifics of what the Apostle Paul is saying and and he's saying a lot that we need to hear in our day he, he's talking about issues that are just as current today as they were 2,000 years ago when he wrote them he's not talking about theoretical theology he's not talking about theoretical ideas he's talking about practicing the Christian faith he's talking about being obedient to what God has said even as the passage from Psalm 119 that Pastor Todd read earlier about the Word of God being what he he feasted on what he he needed for for life itself that's where God wants us to be in our everyday walk it's not just for preachers or theologians or, or people who who somehow have full-time Christian ministry but the call to see the Word of God as the Word of God abiding in the Word of God, is something for every single believer. I want you to hear what Paul says in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll talk about it. Paul, before I read that, let me remind you that part of what Paul is doing from here on out is he's anticipating objections. He's been talking about the, the pagan and the moralist and the religionist, the one who is totally outside the will of God, doesn't know anything about God, doesn't want anything to do with God, and the moralist who is trying to live by their own good morals and by their own daily living and trying to be good to one another, kind of living by doing to others as you'd have them doing to you and thinking you're doing it well, you know, and, but I'm going to be good enough, that's the moralist. And then by the religionist who he uses as the example the Jew, which he normally and naturally would, the, the Jew who says, "Look, I, I follow all the rituals. I've gone through all the rituals. I've been circumcised. If it was a male Jew, I've, I've gone through all the times of, of cleansing. I do all the feasts. I do all these religious rituals. What do you mean? I, I'm under the judgment of God. I'm under the wrath of God. What do you mean?" Paul's purpose here is to show that apart from Jesus Christ, every man, every woman stands condemned. So. It's a, it's a, that's a strong statement. It's a statement that our culture doesn't like to hear today. It's a statement that our world doesn't like to hear because we just kind of all want to go along and get along. We don't want everybody to just try to work it out, you know, just try to be nice to one another and everything will be fine. But Paul is saying here and wanting us to see clearly here that if you are outside of Christ, then you are under the judgment of God. And that's what he's going to detail in these next few passages we look at over the next few weeks out of Romans chapter 3 hear what he says in Romans 3 1 then what advantage has the Jew now here's the objector that Paul is anticipating the Jews are the chosen people of God are you saying that that there's no advantage for the Jew over the pagan who lives out there in their in their own world and has no regard for God whatsoever what advantage does the Jew have no advantage Or what is the value of circumcision? Did we go through that with all of our male children for no avail, for no reason? What's the advantage of the Jew? What's the value of circumcision? And Paul answers that objection with uh, much in every way. There's advantage. There's there's value in every single way. You can almost imagine the objector scratching his head or her head and saying, wait a minute, you just got through saying this and now you're saying that. Paul is wanting to be sure that they're clear on what he is saying. There's advantages to the Jew in every way. To begin with, and the word he uses there that's translated to begin with uh, literally means chiefly or primarily or in the first place. In the first place, Paul says, I want you to understand that, that there's this value because the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God or the words of God or the truth of God, or the scriptures of God. There's an advantage to the Jew because they have been given the truth of the word of God. They've been entrusted with that. Now, they have not necessarily handled that in a right sort of way, as we'll see in a minute, but, but there's their advantage. Their advantage is they've been told the truth and given the truth and, and lived, in the tr- lived about the truth and around the truth, of the word of god all their lives so sure they have the oracles of god what if some were unfaithful somebody says well that's a second objection well, well okay we've got the oracles what if they didn't believe What if they didn't obey the oracles of god does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of god does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of god by no means heaven forbid not on your life paul says God's faithfulness is true because I want you to understand this. Let God be true though everyone were a liar. As it is written, and he quotes Psalm 51 4, that you may be justified in your words. God may be justified in his words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Let's get into the thing that he's going to deal with later on. Well, if, if, If our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, if our sin brings about more grace, he'll say later, what do we do? Are we just to go on and sin more or or be more unrighteous? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I I speak in a human way, Paul says, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, Why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And and why do evil, why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Now, we're not going to deal with all of those eight verses today because we won't have time. But we'll come back to them next week. But I want us to look primarily... At the first four verses today where Paul is talking about the oracles of God. There is an advantage to the Jew because they have been given the very oracles of God. The truth of God. The words of God. The Jews were given the revelation from the prophets and from Moses and from, from all of those who came before them. They had that in, fo- in written form. They had that in order, and they heard it proclaimed over and over and over again. But, but what did they do with it? I want you to imagine yourself for a minute on, on an island, far away somewhere, and it's, it's dark. There's there no light. By, by, there just, there's no light at all. It's just a very dark place. And there's a lot of suffering there because y- you live in darkness, you run into each other, you, you, you do all sorts of things that just, just, you can't help doing because you're wandering around trying to walk in darkness. And, and there's this dark island, and you're an inhabitant of it. Now, there is one way off this island. It, it's a narrow footbridge, and that footbridge leads to another land, which is, is filled with light and no suffering and, and abundant blessing. And, and all you've got to do is get on that bridge and go from this dark island over to that island of light. And once you get there, all your, all your cares are taken care of, all your needs are taken You can see because there's light there, unlike the island on which you dwell There are some other false bridges or short bridges that that kind of start out like they're going to get you off the island, but they all lead to nowhere. They all lead to a dead end. As a matter of fact, on either side of that that footbridge that can walk you to the other island, there is a deep chasm. There is just absolute darkness, and and if you fall off of it, you're you're, you're gone. You're lost forever. You're, you're, You're no longer redeemable at all. There's nothing anybody can do for you. Now, in this darkness everybody on the island has been given by some gracious creator of all that's on the island a pin light you ever had a pin light you know sometimes people carry them around on the end of their keychains or on their keychains, and women will use them to look down in the purse in that bottomless pit to try to find what's down in there and and the, that light will shine about six inches to a foot so you you got a little help in finding some stuff Uh, sometimes I used to have one on my keys and in the night I would would look to find where I unlocked the door with it you know just so that you could find but but the pin light is very good for very close quarters about six inches to a foot in front of you but as far as getting off the island it's not very helpful it it might help you see some absolute uh, uh, obvious obstacles in your way but it won't help you to see anything that really will get you to that bridge now everybody's got a pin light there's a small group of people on this island who for for whatever reason by his graciousness the creator of this island has given searchlights and they have huge candle power and and they give off lumen after lumen after lumen and they could turn those searchlights out and they could say to people everywhere, there's the way to the bridge, just follow the light. It would, it would illuminate for thousands and thousands of feet. And these searchlights were powerful. But instead of using those searchlights to themselves help themselves find the bridge and also to help others find the bridge, instead of doing that, What those are the big searchlights have done is they have moved in close to the middle of the island and they've all turned them toward an object in the middle of the island. Let's just say there's an object there and and let's call it a haystack. And and they've turned their searchlights, instead of looking for for the bridge to get off the island and helping others do that, they've turned their searchlight toward the haystack. And they just spend all their time saying, Wow, we've got great light now. Let's get on with a haystack and let's search in that haystack and see if maybe we can find some needles in that haystack. And they spend all their life just looking at the haystack and being very proud of themselves. We've got searchlights, we've got light that is more powerful than anything anybody else on the island has. And we have this light, and they don't have it. They just spend their life looking at minutiae rather than giving direction. In Paul's day and in Jesus' day, that's basically what has happened within Judaism. They've been given the law of God. They've been given the word of God. They've been given the truth of God. And, and in even the call of Abraham, God said to Abraham, you shall be a light unto the nations. You shall, you shall go forth and you shall be a blessing to all the nations. And around the world, every people will be blessed because of what I am giving to you. And yet they took those blessings and they thought, those blessings are just for me. And for my, my type. And we just want to enjoy them. And we just want to glory in them. And we want to talk about them. And, and we want to look for what we want to look for with them. And, and we don't really care about anybody else. They had the truth of God. They had the oracles of God. That was an advantage to them. But if they did not use those oracles, those words of God, for the benefit of others... They just kept them to themselves and said, We have what God's will is. We know what God's will is. He's made it clear in His Word. And and we're going to try to set up something where we can live by it, but we're going to tell nobody else about it. And they are holding back from a world that desperately needs to hear truth. And they're holding back from a world that desperately needs to hear what God has revealed. And they're saying, we're just going to enjoy it ourselves. When Paul engages his, I don't even want to call him an imaginary objector here, it, it very well could have been issues that had been raised by the church at Rome. Uh, there were both Jews and Gentiles in that church. We talked about that at the beginning of this series. They were the the. the the gospel had gotten to Rome before Paul did. He had not been there, so he's writing to a group of people, a church that's made up of Romans and, and Jews that have, have migrated there, and, and they're there serving Christ. And I'm sure they had all sorts of questions about, well, is, is there an advantage to being a Jew now that we're all in Christ? And, and what does that take on? And what about our Jewish relatives back in, in Israel, back in, in Palestine? What, what is the, what's the deal do they have no advantage of all? It sounds like, Paul, you're saying everybody is just without hope. And Paul is pointing to point the fact that, indeed, everyone is without hope, without Christ. That's, that's the bottom line issue. That, that's the point that he wants us all to see, especially in the world in which we're living today. We're living in a world where, where this idea of the, of the searchlight and the penlight certainly m- makes sense. Because everybody has been given general revelation. Make that the pen light. But general revelation won't get you to the footbridge to get you to life, to the land of light. The, the pen light will help you see what's in front of you, and, and, but it won't take you anywhere. General revelation is enough for you to say there is a God and He exists and He's real and He's powerful and He's ordered and, and all sorts of things that general revelation revealed to us about God that, that David talks about in Psalm 19 about the heavens declaring the glory of God. There, there is that general revelation that is, is there and it gives us a little bit of hope to search, but we've got to have a searchlight of special revelation the Word of God, the truth of God, the person of God in Jesus Christ to point us to the bridge the narrow footbridge that leads to life they argued about how many steps they could take on the Sabbath you know you you had to be a good Jew you couldn't go more than certain number of steps and from your home on the Sabbath or else you had broken the law of working on the Sabbath. So, so they, they worked hard at finding ways around that. If they needed to go three times that far on the day before the Sabbath, they would take a piece of an object from their home and they would place it along the way. And as they would walk the number of steps, they would be at home again. And then they'd walk another far to another place and they'd be at home. I mean, they found all sorts of ways to get into the minutia of the law and say, we're, we're obeying the law because we're not ever leaving our home, really. They argued over things that really didn't matter. They took the, the law of God of Ten Commandments and made it into 600-something commands. Very unnecessary. Very unbiblical. And, and yet, they felt like they were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. And Paul says, you missed the whole point. We as as christians in the 21st century in the 20th century we, we find ourselves arguing over you know should stores be open on sunday well, that was a big argument a few years ago and that was we tried to obey the law but we missed the spirit of it or we argued over whether you could play cards or not or we argued over where you could have a glass of wine or not or we argue over things that quite honestly had nothing to do with scripture but we made those the judgments. I, I've told you about the person. first person I tried to witness to in Somerset, Kentucky, 13 years ago, tried to share the gospel with them. They said, no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good with God. I said, how do you know that? How do you know you have a right relationship? He, obviously, he, he wasn't involved in church anywhere. He didn't worship God. He had no desire to worship God. He, he, his lifestyle was not that which was, was conduit with the Christian understanding of what a changed life is all about. Well, how do you know that you're a believer? He said, I tell you, it's real easy. Not a drop of alcohols ever touched these lips. And I said, Yeah, but how do you know you're a believer? That has nothing to do with it. But he had heard that all of his life. If, if you just don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, don't run around with women who do, then you're okay with God. <laughs> then you're all right with God. And that never said that in the Word. Uh, the Word said, Don't be drunk. With wine. The word said you're not to be using things in excess, whether it's wine or whether it's sirloin steaks. But it never said you. That's, how, that's a judge of your spirituality. And so what has happened is, is, is the word of God with the Jews became just kind of a, a game. And, and if, you can, if you can kind of bat 500, you're, you're doing all right, maybe. Paul said, here's where your advantage lies, Jews. Your advantage lies in that you have been given the word of God. It's of great value to the Jew if they observe and if they read and if they study and if they know what God's word actually says. That goes to the church today, too. What What advantage is it to go to church? Well, it's... So a great advantage if you're hearing the word and listening to the word and repenting of sin and, and, and following Christ if, if he is Lord. But just to go to church is, is of no great value for salvation. It's great value for hearing the truth. But there's no salvific efficacy in coming to church. There's no efficient way that just coming to sin in a church will save you. Understand that. John Warwick Montgomery in 1968, before I was even a believer, wrote a book. And I bought it probably in about 72 or 73. And the title of the book was, and it was he, the, the publisher didn't want to use his title, but he insisted the title of the book was Damned Through the Church. And the point he made in that book, I can make it in one sentence. Going to church does not save you. Going to church can be of great value to you. But going to church is not salvific. So going to church does not save. But what you will hear in church does have value if you listen and if you believe. So Paul says, you know, what advantage does the Jew have? They have many. They've got the Word of God. What advantage does being a Baptist have? Well, it has many advantages because you hear the Word. But being a Baptist or being in church won't save you. It takes the work of Christ. Paul says, then you might say, but, well, okay, that we had the word of God, but some were unfaithful, some didn't believe. Some in Judaism, who had the searchlights, who, who pointed it toward the haystack, They didn't believe. They were unfaithful to the covenant that God had made with them. Does that mean that God has failed? Or does that mean that that, that their faithlessness nullifies the faithfulness of God? And so God is no longer faithful? And in the strongest word Paul could use, he says, By no means, heaven forbid. Let God be true, even... Let God be true, though everyone else... We're a liar. Let God be true. What do you mean let God be true? Paul's not saying there that you have to somehow give God permission to be true. He's saying there that God will be true. God's word will be true. No matter what's taking place. No matter what everybody else is saying. Even within the church. I I read part of a sermon by a a baptist pastor just this past week at at first baptist church of of macon georgia and and uh uh, this pastor i won't use his name but he was a first baptist there and and he made the statement i I love the way he said it he said you know we we need to be involved in in the sacred not the scriptural we need more be more concerned about the sacred than we are the scriptural we want to be a sacred church we want to be a spiritual church but but we don't necessarily mean that we're going to abide by the scripture i you today that that's that's nothing but moving into the paganism that paul talked about in chapter one it's nothing but saying you know what god has said is not true we're going to do things like we want to do them al moeller this past weekend his briefing had a a segment on on the new functionalist understanding of religion and i thought it was quite interesting and quite accurate actually he said religion in our day, in our culture, in our secularization has moved away from being a scriptural religion, uh, but religion has now moved into this, this functionalistic thing. It's more sociological. It's more, is it, it going to help me? Is it going to make me feel good? Uh, the Babylon Bee this past week, the sat- satirical uh, website that I love dearly and, and cheers up my day when I'm really down, he said, you know, the, the, uh, a new church, a church has come out with now a new statement of, of faith, a new sola, and it's sola feels. Instead of sola fide by faith alone, sola gratia by grace alone, sola Christo by Christ alone, sola, sola scriptura by scripture alone, and sola deo gloria, it's just sola feels by feelings alone, by how I think and how I feel and what I want and what I want to pursue, and, and we live in a day where honestly that has become the mantra I will do what I want to do. And it all comes down, quite honestly, it all comes down to a rebellion against God's authority. It all comes down to saying, God, I don't really care what you said. I know what I want. I know what I desire. I don't care what your word says. Why, why would I believe that word? It was written thousands of years ago. Why, why would I believe that? I mean, it, it's clear that God created and has authority, but I don't want to hear it. And we live in a day that if the church speaks authoritatively from Scripture, and if you as an individual Christian speak authoritatively from Scripture, you'll be called a bigot, a hater, a a person who in essence doesn't have a, doesn't really have a place on this planet. Let's pray just a minute. I've got to be honest with you. All this movement is driving me crazy today. Father, just give us a spirit of calmness for a moment. As we, as we seek to just hear your word. Amen. Well, Normally normally doesn't happen. I usually tolerate it pretty well, but boy, it's been exceptionally great today. Um, let the, let God be true. Bottom line, that's where we must stand. Bottom line, that's where we must be. We must see that God is truth, even if it hurts, even if it speaks against what we are doing or what we are feeling. Or what we are desiring. Let God be true. Because if if we're not abiding in his word. We're believing the lie. Paul talked about that, that. That the lie will come. And the church is desperately in danger today. Of believing The lie. We'll talk more about that next week. Let's pray. Father, I just confess to you, Lord, that I this did not finish as I intended for it to. And Lord, I, I confess to you that's my sin. I am not keep my eyes focused on your word, and on you and letting distractions distract. Father, I ask you to, Use the word as we've read it. Because your word is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, use the word as we've read it to speak to our hearts and our lives. God, we know you are truth. We live in a world of He wants to live by our own sets of morals, but you've set up an ethical moral, an ethical standard. Absolute truth. Father, help us live by it. Help us proclaim it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I will glory in my Redeemer. Mm. Our Redeemer who takes us as we are and changes us to what he desires we be, what he wants us to be. Our Redeemer who takes us and clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. You glory in your Redeemer. Do you know the Redeemer? Let's stand together and sing.